as John Rothstein would say, this is March. Madness is coming. In just under two weeks, we're going to have a bracket, folks. And next week, the Big East Tournament comes back to Madison Square Garden. It was the last college basketball that we got to see at the end of last year. So the Big East Tournament returning to the Garden this year, and hopefully with fans in attendance. It's going to be a marquee event to see, but this is the last week of the regular season. For some teams, it could make or break their season depending on what they do. The regular season title is still up for grabs. Creighton and Villanova. Could Wednesday's matchup between the two teams decide who wins the regular season title? Or will Creighton win inside Finner and Pavilion and become only the second team since realignment to beat the Bull, to beat Nova in that building? I'll have my predictions for that. And of course, talk about the weekend that was here on the Igloo. So to round out the month of February, it was an interesting slate, to say the least. And starting at noon on Saturday, Georgetown and DePaul, that's an 11 a.m. tip time out in Chicago. Georgetown, without Javon Blair, they really set the tone early in this game. You know, they, they started off hot. They led 13-6 to early on, and they kind of rode the momentum of their early lead past the Blue Demons. So DePaul, they are still without a home win this season in conference play as Georgetown wins 68-60. to It was a balanced effort for the Hoyas. Chudier Belay, another monster game for him. He's really been a revelation ever since he was inserted into the starting lineup as the power forward. 19 points, 10 rebounds. Meanwhile, Jamarco Pickett and Dante Harris each had 14. Kudus Wahab with 7 points and 7 rebounds to go along with a couple of blocked shots. Pickett also had 2 blocks as well as Timothy Egohefe. Donald Carey with 6 points starting in Blair's place. And then off the bench, Igo Hefe with two from the free throw line. And in limited minutes, Colin Holloway got a bucket, and then Jamari Sibley got four points. The Hoyas dominated the glass, out-rebounding DePaul 40-28. to DePaul, they were led by Charlie Moore. He was a one-man show. 22 points, four assists, 9 of 19 shooting, 4 of 7 from 3. And then Ray Salnave off the bench was the only other Blue Demon in double figures with 11 points. And really, DePaul's bench actually looked better than the other four DePaul starters as they combined for 25 points. David Jones had eight, Nick Ongenda with three, and so did uh, Corvizier McCauley. Kobe El- Elvis in the starting line with just five, and then Darius Hall and Pauly Polycap each with four as the Hoyas, they... Win in Chicago for the first time since 2018. They win by eight, and that's their sixth conference win. And that loss by DePaul means that they are locked into the number 11 seed in next week's Big East tournament. Meanwhile, in stores, Marquette and UConn, 
UConn set the tone early. I mean, it, it was back and forth early, but once UConn took a 12-11 lead, they would not look back. From that point on, they out after trailing 11 to 10, 28 to 10 was the score in the ne- over the next for the remainder of the half as UConn led 38-21 the break. Marquette hung tight, well tried to make it a ball game, but UConn was at arm's length the whole way, and they dominate and win 80-62, finishing off that season sweep. James Booknight was great in this game. 24 points, 9 for 15 from the floor. He didn't make a 3, but he went 6 for 6 from the charity stripe. And how about R.J. Cole, baby? 21 points, 3 boards, 3 assists, 9 for 14 from the floor, 3 for 6 from 3. So those guys combined for more than half of UConn's points. Off the bench, Tyler Polly knocked down 3 three-pointers to finish with 9 points. And remember, you know, he had 23 against Marquette in Milwaukee. Eight points for Andre Jackson to go along with eight rebounds. Jalen Gaffney with four points. Tyrese Martin, six points, eight rebounds. But he did foul out. And then Adama Sanogo and Isaiah Whaley each with four points. The Huskies, they shoot over 50% from the floor. But 28% from three. Meanwhile, they hold Marquette to just 39% from the floor, 25% from three. Dawson Garcia, 18 points, eight rebounds to lead the way. Justin Lewis in his first game back, 14 points off the bench in 21 minutes. Jamal Kane with only five points. Theo John with six. DJ Carden only had two, and they were both from the free throw line. Carton was 0 for 9 from the field, 0 for 5 from 3. Greg Elliott with 6 points, all from behind the arc. Samir Torrance had 7 points. Jose Perez and Kobe McEwen each with 2. Marquette, they fall to just 6 and 11 in conference. UConn now up to 9 and 6. And that win moves them into 3rd place in the Big East over Seton Hall. And then in an upset, I predicted. Xavier takes down number 13, Creighton, 77-69. It was a tight game at the break, 33-31. But Xavier, they went on a big run to start the second half as they actually started the half on a on a 10-2 run that made it a 10-point game. And that was enough separation for Xavier to be able to hold on and win this game by eight. And on his senior day, Paul Scruggs stepped up big. 23 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 9 for 13 from the floor, 3 of 5 from deep. And by the way, no Nate Johnson. He's out for the remainder of the season. So on senior day, the senior who's been there the longest stepped up the most. The freshman, Dwan Odom, was great. 12 points, 3 boards, 4 assists, 6 for 10 from the field. Zach Fremantle, another double-double, 17 points, 10 rebounds, 7 for 12 from the floor, 1 of 3 from distance. Jason Carter put up a goose egg, but Colby Jones with 6 points, 4 boards, 4 assists as the small forward. Off the bench, Brian Griffin with 4. C.J. Wilcher knocked down a 3, but then Adam Kunkel with a dozen points. As Xavier, they shoot over 54% from the floor, 33% from 3 only, but they hold Creighton to just 42.6% from the field, 36% from three. 
Damian Jefferson, 19 points, 8 boards. Marcus Zagorowski, a double-double, 15 points, 10 assists, but he was just 1 for 6 from 3 and 6 for 14 from the floor. Mitch Ballack, 11 points, as did Denzel Mahoney. Ballack only needed 8 shots, 4 for 8 from the floor, 3 for 4 from 3. Denzel Mahoney, though, man, he struggled. 3 for 14 from the floor, 2 for 8 from 3. Christian Bishop with just 4 points and 7 rebounds. Ryan Kalkbrenner was really good. 9 points and 4 rebounds off the bench in 16 minutes. However, no one else from Creighton's bench scored. As Xavier, they beat Creighton for that signature win. And then on Sunday, Butler on Senior Day, still without Aaron Thompson. They got Bo Hodges back in this game. And Villanova, Butler really won this game on the defensive end. Winning 73-61. to It was neck and neck early on, but once Butler, once Villanova had tied it at 20, Butler closed the half on a 14-4 run to go up 10, and they would not look back. Leading the way, Chuck Harris, 20 points. 4 of 9 from 3, 7 for 14 from the field. Jair Bolden on his senior day, 15 points. 3 for 5 from behind the arc, 5 for 10 from the floor. Bryce Enzi, senior day for him, a double-double. 12 points, 11 rebounds. Bryce Golden, 13.6 rebounds. Butler's bigs really dominated inside against Nova's bigs, uh, Robinson Earl and Samuels. Miles Tate with only 6 points. Bo Hodges in his first game back from injury. 2 for 4 from 3, 2 for 5 from the floor. 21 minutes, 7 points. And for Villanova, what did them in was their inability to shoot th- the three. It also didn't help they let Butler shoot it really well at 50%. But Villanova was just 2 for 27. The worst single game mark in the Jay Wright era in 20 seasons. And they shot just 36.9% from the floor. Jeremiah Robinson Earl a monster game. 16 points, 16 rebounds, 7 for 15 from the floor. Justin Moore with 10, Colin Gillespie with 14, Caleb Daniels also with 10, but he went 0 for 6 from 3, as did Moore. Cole Swider knocked down his only shot from 3 and finished with 5 points. Brandon Slater with only 2 points. Jermaine Samuels with just 4. So... Villanova's horrendous three-point shooting does them in. Butler with a huge upset, and they get their best home record in conference play by going 7-3 with that win as they take down the eighth-ranked Wildcats. Butler will have the week off, and then they will play at Creighton on Saturday. Uh, Before I get you ready for Tuesday and Wednesday's action, as we begin the final week of the regular season, joining me next for an in-depth interview, Marquette alum and TBT champion Derek Wilson will join me next here on the Igloo. Welcome back inside the Igloo. Back at it with another Big East alumni interview. Joining me um, all the way from Turkey, four-year player at Marquette, uh, was one of um, part of uh, Wojo's first year. Uh, at Marquette, uh, played three years under Buzz Williams, two uh, two trips to the second weekend of the tournament, including an Elite Eight. And, of course, this past summer, a TBT champion with Golden Eagles. 
uh, Derek Wilson. Derek, welcome inside the Igloo, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, appreciate well, it. Well, I mean, you got an interesting journey. You know, you hail all the way from Anchorage, Alaska. But before we were talking, uh, you know, before getting on air, uh, you ended up, you know, on the East Coast. Uh, you got family from the East Coast and you uh, played your high school ball at Connect- um, in the state of Connecticut. Uh, so what led you to the East Coast um, from Alaska? And then ultimately what landed you in Milwaukee at Marquette? Um, I had a friend, when I was younger, we went to this Adidas camp and a uh, guy named Jet by the name of Jason Morris. I actually, my dad's in the military, so I've moved around a lot, but our dad were, our dads were friends in the military and he went to boarding school. He ended up going to Georgia Tech and they, uh, the coach asked me to come as well and see me at a camp and I ended up in Connecticut. And so I would just stay out there for the summers in New York City with my grandmother and just, you know, play basketball. So even though I was from Alaska, I got recruited by a lot of East Coast schools, obviously because I was in, on the East Coast. So I think uh, that was one of the best decisions I made. And I mean, and then when I went to Marquette, it just felt like the right place to be. And that's why I went there. And I mean, I, I appreciate everything that I learned from there. And, you know, I, it still helps me to this day. So was it really like a one horse race Marquette was taking it all the way or were there a couple other schools that were up there? Uh, Mar- Marquette was pretty much the only one. I was talking to other schools. I was talking to Pittsburgh and um, a couple of other schools, uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, who else? Oklahoma, Georgia Tech, um, but then randomly, like uh, every coach had ended up leaving from Georgia Tech to Virginia. So Greenberg left. Say, uh, Coach Hewitt left Georgia Tech, and obviously, uh, I don't know why my mind just blank. He's at Duke now, but uh, oh, Jeff coach, Capel, no, Jeff Capel, yeah, okay. he he left as well. So like. All three of those coaches end up leaving, and those I, I really I originally wanted to go to Georgia Tech, but Coach Hewitt ended up leaving. So I, I think Marquette was, you know, I, me and uh, Coach Aki, uh, he's actually last time I spoke to him, he was uh, a scout for the Oklahoma City Thunder, but he, he's from New York City, so we kind of built a relationship. Obviously, I was in New York City a lot, so we kind of had something in common, uh, knew some of the same people that were coaching me helping me with my basketball journey. So we end up talking and I just, you know, went out to Marquette for a visit and fell in love and committed while I was there. So, and I, cause I felt like it would be a good fit for me. So. Yeah. And, you know, this is a Marquette team that was, you know, slowly building up, you know, the year before you got there uh, with Jimmy Butler, they made the sweet 16 as an 11 seed and still had a lot of good pieces uh, from that group you know, coming back along with you uh, joining the team as well. Uh, overall, you know, heading into that year, uh, what was the confidence level at? Uh, I think for our team, I think, you know, everybody was hungry. Uh, we obviously everybody knew we had the talent. I mean, you, you bring pretty much every, everybody back outside of uh, bikes. I think the white bikes left and Jimmy, who, who were very focal point. I mean, like big parts of that team, but you had DJ, coming back you had Vander coming back you had Jay Crowder coming back uh Jamil Jamil Wilson kind of stepped in for that you know for the absence of Jimmy and Dwight Bikes so that's not a bad you know Jamil's a very talented ultra talented player like they thought he was the most talented guy that came to through Marquette at that time 
So, I mean, we had, we had a lot of pieces, uh, Ty Mayo coming, uh, coming in, one of the best freshmen in the Big East that year. I mean, we had, we had a lot of guys. And I think the thing is everybody knew their role. And when everybody knows the role and plays a role to the team, our confidence was super high. So, Yeah. And you were one of the, still one of the best teams in the big East. And, you know, this was still when the big East was the beast of the East and frankly, the entire country. Um, I can't even imagine just how intense biggies were on a night uh, biggies games were on a nightly basis, especially when, you know, you have, you know, half of your teams going to the tournament and you have a Syracuse team that rolls through the competition, finishes 30 and one in the regular season. Yes. Uh, it, it was crazy because, you know, every, I think that year, I want to say out of us 18, 16, 18, 16 or 18 teams, nine of them made the tournament. And so like, I mean, I remember our first, like, I think we were ranked. We, oh, hello. Yeah. Can you, uh, we were ranked top 10 at the beginning of the season and uh, we kind of started off Big East slow, uh, play a little, slow, uh, a little slow because we uh, lost to LSU at LSU. We were rolling through, we beat UW in the garden and uh, we, had, we had a good start off to the season, but that Big East, we lost to Georgetown in the first game of the Big East and then Syracuse the second game. And then we had to go back home and play pit, a, a, a tough pit team and Louisville. And we end up beating both of those teams, you know, back to back, which is like to start off your college career and conference play playing Georgetown, Syracuse, Pittsburgh, then Louisville is, you know, this, it's like, you know, those are all four games that you can possibly lose at any time, any place. And obviously Louisville, I think end up making, went pretty far that year as well. Final so, four, final four. Yeah, final four. They went to the final four. So we end up beating Pitt, Louisville, and then, we had to play a tough Cincinnati team. Cincinnati was, they had an older team. I think they had like three or four seniors as starters. So it, it was, that that conference was crazy. Every night was kind of a dog fight. I think the only teams that we knew we, we for, for sure were going to beat, I think Paul had a very young team, uh, pretty much all freshmen, and then USF in Florida. So USF but, was good that year, though. Yeah. And we, and we, and the crazy thing is, we like, we would beat them, but it was like we our confidence level at that point was so high because we ended up. I think we would uh, we lost four games in the Big East, and I think to Louisville, Louisville, that was uh, oh no, that was my next year actually. But I can't remember that freshman. Those those two years kind of combined because a lot of players are still in the league. But I think we end up finishing second behind Syracuse. Um, end up beating Georgetown in the last game of the season, and then. Got put out early in the Big East tournament that year. We lost to Louisville actually the first first game because we had that you know in the Big East tournament they used to have like it's like four or six games before if you're number two or number one you have to wait four or five days before you even play while the other teams are playing you know two or three games possibly. So yeah, we yeah. ended up losing early in that. Yeah, so, yeah. The, the good old days of the double bye. Uh, you know, yeah, it would start on a Tuesday. And then the second round will be Wednesday, and then you go into the quarterfinals on uh, Thursday. So, yeah, um, that Louisville team, though, I think that was just an instance of just a team just playing their best basketball in the month of March. Am I right on that? Uh, Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, I think they they just finally clicked because obviously the next year they will go on to win, you know, uh, 
the national champ. I think they won the national championship next year. So, mm-hmm. so it's like they clicked at the time and just ran through, you know, the Big East tournament. Then they go to the NCAA tournament and then league going into next year, probably the best team in the country and they win a national championship. So I think that team just finally came together. Uh, Cause I played uh, me and Russ Smith played for the same AAU program, uh, played for the New York Gaucho. So I knew him. So I knew how talented he was and he just kind of clicked at that time. They had Peyton Siva, uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Luke, Luke, uh, Hancock, Hancock. Uh, don't forget so, Kyle Kirk. Kyle, Kyle Kirk. Uh, so they, they, it was just, man, I mean, those guys, I mean, I know Kyle Kirk is one of the best shooters in EuroLeague, and I don't know if people are familiar with EuroLeague. EuroLeague is a, you know, one of the toughest leagues in the world. So it's like you, you have those four guys, and then you have Dane. At, at the center, you had then the next year they had Montrez. I, I think the next year they added Montrez. So it's mm-hmm. like that, that team was just those, those, they just had a lot of talent. So I think they clicked at, in March and just kind of took off from there. So, but I mean, that, those those days were those two, my first two years, every night you knew you were going to be in a dogfight. Even if you did play the ball, you're still going to be tough. To, you went to the ball, it's dark, it's cold. It's not, you know, the fan, we had more fans than they did playing, you know, how close we are to Chicago. Because, you know, everybody from Marquette is really from Chicago. It's only an hour drive in Rosemont. So it was just like the energy level was low. You're not really up to play them. They might be, but they're going to fight. Same thing with, you know, USF and the schools like that. So it's like every night was a dog fight, which is, it's crazy that that conference, I, I wish that conference could have stayed intact yeah know, to this day. trust me a lot of people do um but side note though um would you characterize all-state arena as a dump uh not a dump but it, it's just it's tough because it's like kind of out in the middle like where DePaul is in Chicago is down like it's in uh Lincoln Park so it's downtown so getting to Rosemont takes like an hour. So not a lot of kids, you know, if you go Marquette, the arena is 10 minutes. I'm pretty sure 10, Seton Hall, the arena is like 10 minutes. Syracuse, right. the gym's right there. So just, I don't think any college kid, you know, I know how college kids are. They drink, they go to the games, they want to go out after. I'm like, you got to go an hour outside the city to do that. It's just nobody, I mean, the average college kid is not doing that. I think everybody knows that. So it was just tough and it was cold because sometimes they would uh, they play hockey out there. So the arena is like when you go for shoot around or you first get there, it's just super cold. It's kind of dark in there. Everything's like the seats are black. So it's like it, it's not lively in there. So it's, that, it's tough to get up and play. Uh, and I think we might have struggled with them when we played them there. My Even though we won the second best team in the Big East at the time, it was like, I think we struggled for like the first three quarters just because it was kind of, we had to get ourselves going. So. Yeah, no, I, I got you. Uh, I mean, good, good for DePaul that they moved into, into Wintrust Arena where, uh, you, you know, you played in TBT. Yeah, that's actually a really nice room. Really nice room. Played all Iowa State there. So that, that was, uh, man, that, that's a, that's a, I, that was a tough loss for us. So, I mean, it, the TBT is it's fun. I, I'm pretty sure it's fun for everybody, especially college fans, especially when you see the alumni teams. 
I mean, I wish more guys kind of had the time and the opportunity to play in it. But, you know, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard during the summer. Some teams over here won't let you play in it. Obviously, some of the EuroLeague teams and the teams that pay you quite a bit of money. And also, it's just guys get married, guys have kids. So it's, it's a little tough because in the TBT, we spend a lot of time together. So we have a training camp for like a week. Then you went to Wichita for a weekend after that. And then the next weekend, you got to you, you go back to Milwaukee for three days of practice and head to Chicago. So that's how we kind of operate. This year is tough because, I mean, everybody had to leave their families for like a, almost a month, right. like three weeks. So, I mean, that that's tough to do if you have two or three kids and a wife. Just leave yeah. your family, for, you know. Yeah. So, like with Luke Fisher, for example. I mean, he just had a kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it he uh luckily, I mean, luckily he lives in Milwaukee. So we we always have it in Milwaukee and a lot of those guys live in Milwaukee, but me, DJO, Mo Acker, uh Rousey was in Milwaukee this summer, so he was fine. But us three and Jamil, he from like he's from Racine. So everybody, luckily everybody's from the area, but going into that bubble for three weeks, I didn't even realize how long we were in there. Cause that that this year was a little tougher, but the years before it was it wasn't as bad because guys can still go home. To, you know, had a little time to fly home before you go to the game, but yeah, there's a lot of money spent doing that. So yeah, uh, but uh, you know, going the 2012 tournament, you know that I mean Kentucky, I mean they were the by far the best team in the country. Uh, but in your yeah. region, though. You had a lot of leeway. Uh, you know, Michigan State was in there, a good team. Missouri was a good team that year. Uh, but they got knocked out in round one by Norfolk State and Kyle O'Quinn, which, you know, you know, going after you go through BYU and then Murray State, like, you know, you got to feel like the door's pretty open for you to, like, get to the Elite Eight, right? Uh, yeah, we, we knew that Florida team was going to be tough, though, because we – uh. You know, they had Bradley Bill, uh, Urban Walker, Mike Rosario, uh, who else? Uh, Scotty Wilberkin, uh, Patrick uh, Young. And they had, that was a tough team to beat. I didn't, we, I didn't realize how good they were until we were out there on the court with them. Because I, I don't think they had the year they expected to have, I guess, you know, with all the talent they had. But that that was a that was one of those games that just had the best of us. I think we we didn't come out strong that game. They just Bradley Bill actually killed us. Obviously, Bradley Bill's Bradley Bill. So it was just one of those games that you know we, it was tough for us. But I mean, I'm trying to see who else who supposed to play supposed to play. Like yeah, Louisville won in the game ahead of you. Yeah, Louisville beat uh, Michigan State the game before us. Uh, so I remember that it was out in Phoenix. So it, it was just one of those, you know, in the tournament is just really, it doesn't matter about the matchup. It, it does matter about the matchup, but it matters about the team. Like who's going to be better that day? Cause we obviously you see, we beat Norfolk state twice uh, that year. Actually we beat them at home and then we played them in the Virgin islands uh, for, to win a championship in the tournament. The first time we played them at home, we beat them by 30. In the Virgin Islands, we barely, we I think we won by four in the championship. Like it was like a real tight game. So it is it, 
you know, in college basketball, it just really depends on who shows up. And now if both teams end up showing up, the better team, I think, usually wins. But both teams showing up is sometimes not always the case. And you get random guys stepping up. During the tournament, I mean, March Madness is the reason why they call it March Madness because you get guys who probably average, you know, two or three points the whole year having a 30-point game, you know, in a time of, like, I didn't even know, you know, this guy's name before tonight. Like, I, I didn't even realize he was on the team. So that type of stuff happens in March Madness. So I think when we play Florida, that's what happened. I think when we play Syracuse, that's what happened the next year. Syracuse is Michael Carter-Williams. I actually played against him, and uh, we went to – we were in the same prep school league. My prep school league was kind of loaded with a bunch of talent. But him and Ricardo Lito played there. But when we played um, Syracuse the next year – it was Michael Carter. We could not stop Michael Carter Williams to, for anything. The, earlier that year, we killed their song. We only played them once that year, but we ended up, you know, they couldn't do anything with Devontae, but then we played him in the Elite Eight. Michael Carter Williams just had one of those games that, you know, this March. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so after that 2012 season, I think 2013, you still had a lot coming back, um, but I mean, no Jay Crowder makes a, a bit of a difference. It brings you down a little bit, but still you guys had a really good team and uh, you end up finishing in a three-way tie at the top of the league along with Georgetown and Louisville. And the way you yes. guys got a share of the Big East title in the regular season was with a buzzer beater and uh, Vander Blue coming yeah. up big at Carneseca. Hey, man, he, he think he did that about two or three times for us in March. But, yeah, that that was a, an interesting year because who really kind of made it a three-rate tie was Villanova. I mean, I don't know if you remember that year, but Villanova beat they, – they, Villanova was okay. I don't think they were a tournament team that year. Actually, the, but they, they were. Beat. They were a nine seed. Oh, they were not – yeah, and they probably – and what, what kind of – made it a three-way tie is that they beat us, they beat Louisville, and they beat uh, Georgetown. And those were the three games that, like, all, all three of us, I think all of us played them once, and they beat us that whole time. Sorry, I got to plug in my uh, iPad. Is my, uh, Don't sweat it, man. Hey, they, uh, the hijinks of the igloo, that's that's what it is. Yeah, they, uh, they end up uh, beating all three of us in – that was the game, you know, I think they were kind of in the middle of the pack. They were a young team. Uh, Archie Diacono, uh, Duran Hilliard, uh, James Bell. So they, they were a fairly young team. Uh, Daniel Sheff, who uh, they, they had kind of a young team, but they were like coming into their own. Obviously, next year they were very good in the year after that in the championship. But they were, they were, they were a very good young team. And so it was like when they beat all three of us, that all kind of put us in the same kind of like that added a loss into all our categories. So which was what, which was a little a little bit of a bummer because we was looking forward to it. We didn't know we were going to split it, but I mean, hey, we got one, I guess. And that that St. John's game was wasn't supposed to be that hard, but you know, when you when you're playing for championships, it's nothing going to be very easy. So. Yeah, and, you know, Biggie's tournament time uh, came again, and, you know, this time it's Notre Dame who gets you in the quarterfinal round, and I, I just think Notre Dame's team, you know, 
they just had all of these pieces that just made it tough to beat them. And like, I think it was Pat Connaughton who had a big week that week in the garden. Yeah. And, uh, Jer- I mean, obviously Jaron Grant was a really good player. Uh, that, that, that was a weird time for us because we were in New York for like four or five days, just kind of just hanging out, watching games. And I feel like sometimes when you go to the Big East tournament, sometimes a little bit too early and you're just sitting around watching games all day, it kind of the motivation changes a little bit because you, you're overanalyzing. Like, oh, this should be an easy one, this, that, and the third. But you got to realize, I'm like, these guys have played, they've been playing, you know, we basically had maybe like a week and a half off and then we're trying to go play against a team who, you know, fresh running kind of caught a rhythm. So that whole game, I felt like we were just trying to get a rhythm the whole entire game. And we just couldn't, couldn't find one. And they, they got the best of us a little bit. And that was also a very good Notre Dame team. I always forget that Notre Dame was in that conference, but they, they always gave us problems. Year, even the year before that we lost to them at Notre Dame, they gave us problems. But they always been a tough, kind of gritty team as well. So, yeah, uh, but you know, either way, you you got to bounce back in the NCAA tournament. You get a three seed for the second year in a row. You go down to Lexington. You know, it's crazy that it's two years in a row you have to go down to the state of Kentucky. You go to Louisville yeah. in 2012. Now you go to Lexington in 13, and. First round, you get a scare from Davidson, and you're trailing most of the game. And guess who comes up big for you yet again? It's Vander Blue. Yeah, yeah. Man, you know we during that tournament. I think we we, as I said, like it, it depends on who who has the best rhythm at that time. And we just Van just had the rhythm. I mean, he we kind of relied on him for everything, and he I, that was against uh, Davidson. Then he had one against Butler. And it was like, those, you know, anybody who knows Butler, Butler at the time wasn't in the Big East, but they had um, Rodney Clark was a, a very good player. And they and they actually had beat us in Maui earlier that year. He hit a yeah, buzzer. Yeah, they did on a buzzer beater. Yeah, yeah I was guarding him and he kind of just threw it up. I didn't even think it was going in, but I'm like, you know, after the game, you know, usually coaches mad, he's like, Buzz kind of looked at me, he was like, it was a good defense, so nothing you could do. He was falling and threw it up and made it. So we kind of had a little bit of motivation. But that that Butler team was a very good team, and they were very well coached. Obviously, they had uh, Brad Stevens at the time. He's one of the best coaches in the world, So, and even in the NBA. And just some of the stuff that he was drawing up, our coach, it's a testament to how good our coaching staff was because some of the plays, like the uh, – that. We call them ATOs, after timeouts, BOBs, baseline out of bounds, and uh, SOBs, sideline out of bounds. Like we're in practice, and before, obviously, before the game, and they're like showing the play. I'm like, yo, this is like a crazy ass play. I'm like, this should work every single time. And it's a testament to our coaches of how well we did on BOBs, ATOs, and sideline out of bounds play. It was crazy because, like, I, it's rare when you, you know, you're running through somebody's offense and you're like, damn, that's a really good play as a player. And, and being that young and, and not really knowing much. I mean, obviously I'm a lot older now, know a lot more about basketball, but being that young and kind of realizing, I'm like, you know, this is a hell of a play. So it's it's our coaches. Uh, I got to, you know, give it up to our coaching staff for how well they uh, prepared us to defend those. So 
Because yeah. that's what they usually be, you know, college basketball is all about after timeouts. If you if a team scores 10 points after timeouts, that's, you know, you're probably going to win the game. So Right. Overall, though, how satisfying was it to get revenge on Butler at, at Rupp? Man, it felt, it felt good because that, that, that buzzer beater, I felt because that I think that was go to, that was to go to the championship to play UNC. So, uh, man, that 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 we just we just wanted it. I felt like we wanted it. I think that uh, Notre Dame lost kind of left a bad taste in our mouths, and we just kind of and credit to Van Van stepped up at the perfect time. I mean, in March he had the one against St. John's and Hallison the three ranks high. And hit another one to help us advance to the, you know, round of 32, hit another one to help us advance to the Sweet 16. So. Yeah. Uh, so I've, 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 I think this is an interesting, like, thing that I've, you know, gotten from other people. But do you think the first round game is the toughest to get by? Yes, because you, you, you kind of, it's, it's the, it's the more the nervousness, the travel, the, like, you can feel the atmosphere at school, just like when you're at school, you feel different. It's like it's not like a normal game, you know what I mean? So when the season starts, so it's, it, you can feel the pressure a little bit more. So when the season starts, it's like, okay, the basketball team is good. We have high expectations. But when you get in that tournament, the, it's like the, the environment, obviously, being in Milwaukee, like the weather gets better. Uh, you start to see people more. You see, you know, everybody's telling you good luck. It's a, it's a, the atmosphere is just different. You're going to be playing on TV. Everybody back home is usually free and, you know, watching the games, everybody has their brackets. So people are like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, so I'm rooting for y'all. I got y'all going to this point. And so it's, I think just the atmosphere of people kind of, you get a lot more text calls, A lot more eyes on on you at that point, and so that is wants it, and it's a little bit of nervousness playing on. You know, it's just a, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's just the atmosphere is different in that first game, and even the tournament as a whole. So. Yeah, and going back to your third straight Sweet Sixteen, knowing you hadn't advanced past that round up until that point, you get a hot Miami team led by Shane Larkin and. You know, you guys put on a clinic and take them down to finally get over that hump. Like, I, I feel like that feeling probably was more satisfying than, you know, getting revenge on Butler. Yeah, and it, and the crazy part about it is because I think it was either them or Illinois. And they, they struggled with Illinois with uh, Brandon Paul, and I think they had DJ Richardson at the time. And we were watching that game. And as players, you, you know, you kind of know who you match up better with. And we thought we matched up better with Miami than we did uh, than Illinois. So we were looking forward to Miami because the ACC, they played a different style of basketball in the ACC. We were, we were kind of more grit. Those guys obviously had a bunch of talent. Uh, Trey McKinney was from Milwaukee. Um, programs so I knew him beforehand and obviously they had Shane Larkin who's still I mean he's also in Turkey one of the best if not the best player in Europe last year so they had that, that team was switched up ball screens we had this is the only time we ever really switched up ball screens called some bright yellow and it's like just make Shane Larkin just get the ball out of his hands and not 
after that and make everybody else kind of be a creator because he's so lightning quick when he gets to the paint has to throw it out so that was kind of our game plan and just beating them i didn't know we were going to beat them as easily as we did i thought they were you know it was going to be a little tougher game but obviously that's you know that's sometimes how march goes so i i was surprised because i mean they were running through everybody that year and you know do everybody acc obviously acc i thought was probably if not one or two the biggies at the time and acc were like one and two so as easy as we did i think it was was a uh, satisfied feeling for them and also just to get over that sweet 16 huh so yeah so uh and watching the other game that happened in the nation's capital, Syracuse takes down the top seed Indiana, which was absolutely loaded with, you know, Watford and Victor Oladipo and uh, freshman Yogi Ferrell. So you get an all big East matchup in the elite eight, ironically in Georgetown's arena. Um, but Syracuse just that day, I don't know what they were doing, but they just clamped down on you guys and held you to 39 points and uh, advance to the final four. What was it that they were doing that made it so difficult for you guys to score? Uh, I mean, that zone, we, we, you know, we're not a shooting team. We weren't a shooting team, obviously. Uh, and that just really hurt us. And we didn't make a shot that day. The I missed a shot. So when somebody goes 10 for 10 on his own shooting jump shots and it, everything's hitting on all cylinders, it's a little easier to beat the team. But that day, it just is one of the days we couldn't hit shots. The zone looked a little bit, you know, it, the ball, the basket started looking a little bit smaller. I think you know. At the time, I think they had James Sutherland in the back, a CJ Fair, mm -hmm. and uh, a Raheem Christmas, and then you had Harry Williams and Trevor Cooney. That's all guys over six four, you know. So it's yeah. like and six four at the it, it's it's tough to get around if you you know. And they play; they just had a defensive clinic on us on how to play a two three zone so and that and that hurt us and we, we just weren't able to get over yeah uh brandon trish too i i don't know if i caught him oh uh, yeah brandon trish yeah that's why I, I knew i was missing somebody yeah i love you throwing some respect on trevor cooney's name one of my all-time favorites not gonna lie yeah so uh, he's, he's a good, good player yeah so um uh you know before i move on to you know moving on to the new biggies, you know, try to take me back to, you know, the first time you stepped foot inside Madison Square Garden for a biggies tournament game. You know, what do you remember from, you know, what, stepping foot inside the arena and then, uh, you know, onto the court in front of, you know, 19,000 strong? Man, the it's, it's, a, it's a weird feeling because, you know, you grow up, like my parents are older. So obviously, you know, you hear about all the stories like Michael Jordan, he, he goes off, they love playing in the garden. Then you have, uh, you know, Reggie Miller, New York Knicks. My dad is from New York, my family, you know, my dad's side of family is from New York City. So just hearing all the stories about how big and how, you know, the the 
history of the garden, essentially. It's like, it's a feeling you can't describe because as a kid, you don't necessarily think about, you know, the importance or the importance of it or like how hard it is to get there and to be able to perform whatever you do, whether it's music or entertainment or basketball. So it's, a, it's just a crazy feeling and it's undescribable. It's like that, I think, honestly, that might be the best basketball gym in the world, the best arena, I think it's close. And I've played a lot of places, but that one, that one probably takes the cake if I had to say so. Yeah. So moving on to the new biggies, you know, obviously the old biggies had to come to an end, you know, it was a major breakup, but you know, the Catholic seven schools, Marquette being one of them and then several others. And then you add Butler Xavier Creighton to the mix. Um, Overall, you know, what was your initial reaction to this newly configured league and how did you guys like feel like you could stack up against the rest? Uh, I thought, I thought we, I thought we were going to have, I thought we were going to go back to the turn of my junior year. I knew it was going to be a little tougher. Um, with some, uh, you know, I, we didn't know much about Creighton, but obviously mid-major schools, I mean, well, we're, I don't know if they're considered mid-major now, but Creighton and Butler playing in the, uh, the, the respective conferences. That yeah, Cray- yeah, Creighton in the Missouri Valley, Butler and Xavier came from the A-10. Uh, and we knew about Xavier. Xavier's always been kind of uh, a very good basketball school. And Butler, obviously, in the recent years, we played there uh, in Creighton. But it, it was one of those things. It was like, all right, it, it, the conference won't be as tough I, I, night in and night out. That initial thoughts. It won't be as tough night in and night out because, uh, you know, it's not like you got to go to Syracuse and you got to go to Villanova, then you got to go to uh, St. John's. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like that Georgetown. It was like taking Syracuse, Louisville, and Connecticut. Uh, was UConn? Yeah, UConn was out of it that year. So Pitt. it was like Pitt. It, it was like going through those schools because those are all really like kind of tough, def- defensive-minded places. So you didn't think it was going to be as tough, but it actually ended up being just as tough, in my opinion. So I mean. Because Crane, obviously, with Doug McDermott, he killed us every single time. And then with uh, Xavier, they had some, you know, Xavier is really a Big East school, but they just weren't in the Big East, if that means. Like, they had those caliber of guys, tough, defensive-minded uh, guys who were just hard to guard and hard to get by. So it, it was just as tough, you know, once, once you kind of went around it because they had some – Ajay Christian, um, this other guy's name, Jane Reynolds. Um, it, it really didn't change much. It was just, I guess, kind of toned down a little bit in a sense. So, but yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think the non-conference portion, you guys were picked to finish first in the Big East preseason pool. And then, you know, you guys got off to a bit of a rough start, you know, going eight and five, but it was against a tough non-conference slate. Um, like, did your expectations, like, kind of change heading into Big East play from where they were in the preseason? No, I don't think they did. I think I think we had probably, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a weird balance of the team because it was really no um, – 
I guess you can say, because we had pretty much like five freshmen. And then you have five upperclassmen and kind of like two in the middle or one in the middle with, with Steve Taylor. So I think just trying to mesh and trying to all get on the same page, uh, same page with the coaches, the culture wasn't different, obviously. And this is kind of like my junior year is the time where basketball really started to transition where we had some really talented freshmen and we had some guys, you know, obviously really talented players there as well. So it, it was just a little, I think us, we didn't, we never really meshed that whole season from start to finish because I want to say one of our first losses were, was to uh, Arizona Ohio, State. Yeah, and Ohio oh, we State lost too. Ohio State that first game, yeah, that was a low scoring game. It was just kind of, kind of an ugly game on both sides, very low scoring. So to start off the season like that, we're like, okay, that, that one got away from us. But then we go to Arizona State, losing another tough one. Uh, then we go to uh, we went to the Wooden Classic out in LA, lost to uh, San Diego State in a close one. And then after that, like we 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 just can never get over the hump. Then we went to Vegas, lost to New Mexico. Uh, they had Cameron Bar Barstool and they had, they had a good team out there as well. So it was like every game that we kind of, if we, if we would have got one of those games, I feel like the the season would have turned for us, but we never could get one of those games. So I think just, you know, losing that many in non-conference kind of hurt us. So. Yeah, no, I got you. Um, but, you know, in Biggie's play, you know, you guys are kind of up and down, but, Nine and six heading into the month of March. You know, you guys got to be feeling pretty good about yourselves. Uh, but then the final week or week plus of the regular season, it just didn't treat you guys well. And, you know, other than the Villanova loss, you know, you I think you played double overtime in back to back games. And, you know, like you like you said, you just couldn't get over the hump. Um what do you think the biggest reasons, like, why that was? I mean, the Villanova loss is one thing because Villanova yeah. was just a monster at the time. But Providence by one and doubled overtime at the dunk. And then on your on senior day at home against uh, St. John's, also by one in double OT. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I just – honestly, I couldn't even really tell you. I think it, uh, kind of probably back to what I said earlier, it's like, when you have such a talented, and I think this might have happened to Seton Hall at first, that that uh, my senior, when you have such a talented freshman group, and then you have guys who kind of already been there and done it, sometimes it's hard to tell a super like so. A super talented guy I'm like you know you have to do it this way, it, you know th this is how kind of college basketball works, and I think just not having the understanding of upperclassmen and lowerclassmen hurt us because obviously we had Deontay Burton, Jerron Johnson, Dwayne Wilson, three very talented guys. But I don't think we were all on the same page, not in a bad way. It was just, it was just sometimes, you know, it just didn't connect at the, at the right times. And sometimes it did. Uh, so like at the say middle, beginning of Big East, I think we kind of connected a little bit more, but somewhere when those two overtime losses, I think those really hurt. I think this, just the connection between coaches, players, and in the mix of the players of being, you know, you got a guy who's 
23 and you got a guy who's 18, 19 years old, trying to bring them together to get them on the same page. And I think that hurt us a little bit. So I, I would say that probably is the biggest problem. That happens with a lot of teams in college basketball. So, I mean, that's a common occurrence, I think, for every team. So. Uh, yeah. So, by the way, in that Providence game, I, was Devontae Gardner hit that bomb that if it was good, it would have won the game. Did you think it was good on the court? Uh. I, I I don't uh man I don't remember I just remember him throwing up I thought we won the game but that I just you know it was like one of those things you just kind of watch and you don't know if it's gonna go in you just hope it and it's just like it went in we went crazy and we thought we won and I think that hurts a little bit thinking that we won and then I mean I didn't really like the last play call of uh, the refs on that one when I threw the, I threw the ball it's the reason for us to go to top but I threw it to Jake. But they said they told the refs beforehand that they were going to try to uh, get a jump ball. So when Jake got the ball, instead of doing this, he went like this. And I want to say uh, Tyler Harris and maybe Bryce Cott, one of them was around him like this. I'm like, just because they tell you they're going for a jump ball, not going to foul, you don't have to call the jump ball. So I, I didn't like that play call either because if we got Jake Thomas on the free throw line, he would have hit ball. Obviously, he's a great shooter. So. It was, it, it was just one of those games that were just kind of all over the place. You think you won with a buzzer beater, then you get a jump ball call when somebody's hugging them, then they call. Uh, I think I got called for a defensive foul on Bryce Cotton uh, contesting the ball, and he hit the free throws and we ended up losing. So it was just one of those games that was just kind of all over the place. So Yeah. I, I Hey, that, that happens in the Big East sometimes, and – I think so. That 2014 Big East tournament. Would you say the vibe was like, like vastly different, or like a little different at the Garden that year compared to the previous two? Uh, it was a little different because we weren't, we weren't one of those teams that were at the top, and you know we what we played. I mean, obviously, I think that year the the tournament is not as long, so it's not. It's not, it didn't feel like the actual Big East tournament, you know, when you got, it starts on, you know, 16 teams. So I remember watching it like the year before I got to Marquette. I'm watching Marquette play, you know, run like I think they won their first two games. And then you play, you if you make it to the championship and win the last couple of teams, you play about five or six times within a week. But now it's just like, you know, it's just a regular tournament. So, I mean, it, it, the vibe felt a little different and then Philly was packed because obviously with Syracuse fans, Louisville fans, those, you know, two of the best fan bases in the world, all those people aren't coming into the city to uh, watch those games. So it just felt a little different because of the amount of teams and obviously missing those two teams in it with the, the fan base that they had. So it, it just didn't feel as, I guess, big of a tournament as it did the years before so yeah I get I totally get that uh so after losing to Xavier now uh you end up uh so Buzz Williams moves on shockingly and uh were were you a little bit surprised that he moved on and then what did you think of uh Wojo coming uh to Marquette to replace him uh man that, that was a weird very weird time uh for us it was uh you know, we lost, and then we thought we were going to get. We thought we were going to go to NIT that year because it was like we were one of those teams. Like, 
we probably knew if we would have beat Xavier, probably would have had a chance to make it to like one of those last, uh, be a bubble team. If we would have did something in the Big East tournament, we would had we had to win that game. But it was it was just a weird vibe because after we found out we had practice and we thought we watched the NIT tournament and we didn't get in. And I just remember Buzz saying, that's not it. He's like, that's it. And then we all kind of went our separate ways. The next thing you know, I was at the, I think I was out and about somewhere. And I knew something was, I, I knew he was leaving because we uh, we got a text. Like we never get texts and be like, meeting at 4.30 and it's 3.30, you know? That doesn't happen usually in college. You usually have to schedule. It was like meeting at 4.30. And then he just came in and was like, I'm leaving. And then as soon as he said leaving, then everybody's phones went off. And you could see Buzz Williams leaves Marquette to go to Virginia Tech, as me, as we're having the meeting. So he kind of told us at the same time he came out, but it was just one of those weird things. And the vibe felt different. Guys, you know, it was like, I don't know, you know, everybody's trying to figure out, should I stay, should I go, who's coming in? And then Wojo came. I, my high school coach actually knew Wojo. Uh, so he was like, you're a good hand. So I, I knew beforehand that Wojo was a good guy, good coach and where, where he comes from and all that good stuff. But it, it was, that, that was a weird transition because it's two different type of coaching styles. One is more offensive skill set. The other one is kind of old school defense, 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 like offense. You worry about your offense on your own time. Like when you come in here, obviously they help us with offensive stuff, but the main focus is can you you can't be on the floor if you can't play defense. But kind of now it's like if you can score the ball and we need you to score the ball, everybody has to be able to shoot, everybody has to be able to score. So it was just two different mindsets, but that that was a weird time because it was like for you know in college basketball, so structured. But if I mean for people who ever experienced coach changes, for two weeks you're a normal student. So it's like you don't have any, like nobody's, you don't have a schedule given to you because you have no coach and it's, you know, you just kind of just living like a normal student, which is a weird thing, which is a weird feeling because, you know, you wake up, you can go to a party, you don't have to worry about being at practice six in the morning, stuff like that. So it's just a very weird time. But I mean, Mojo was a good addition to Marquette, I think, in my opinion. So, yeah. So was the decision to stay rather than, you know, some guys who, you know, left at the same time that Buzz did? Like, was that, for you, was that an easier decision to stay than you thought it would be, or? Yeah, because uh, I, I, me personally, I had somebody who knew him, and my high school coach was also pretty much my mentor. So him having that, like me having that reassurance of my high school coach, somebody I truly trust, telling me like, yeah, this is a good guy. Like, this is a good coach. You'll be in good hands, stay. He'll take, he's going to take care of you. So that helped me out. But for everybody else who doesn't know him or ha doesn't have, you know, it's like, all right, you know, everybody is, you know, I don't I don't think you ever meet somebody like, nah, I can't play for it. So it, it, it takes a little bit of time. And so, I mean, certain guys just end up leaving. And I mean, obviously he had to get a whole new coaching staff and it, it was just kind of a lot going on, but it was just a hard thing to gauge because you kind of, at that time, I think we had five freshmen coming in, and I think only one ended up coming. 
our three or four freshmen coming in, only one end up coming. The rest end up going to Virginia Tech. So mm-hmm. that's a little tougher when you you know you have plans and then so we only get one recruit in, and then you got guys transferring, you got guys graduating. So it was just we knew I kind of knew it was going to be a tough year with that transition, just because of obviously no recruits. Yeah, we get. I think we got Sandy. Yeah, Sandy's the only. Sandy, yeah, Sandy Cohen. Cohen was the only freshman, and he's from there. And he even had to think about it. He had to go down there and meet with the coaches, and because uh, he was already, he was one of the ones already coming. But obviously, he's from Green Bay, so it's close to home. He has family in Milwaukee, so I mean, that was just a, a weird time. It was going to be a tough season, but I mean, I was kind of still happy about the way we played obviously me as a player I didn't do everything I wanted to do in college obviously I think you talk to most guys they'll say the same thing but it it was just one of those things that it was just you know tough situation yeah so is Wojo as fiery as we see him on TV yeah I remember one of the first times I actually one of the first times he got fired up was we were playing Tennessee they had uh, Kevin Punter and Josh Richardson. And so the we were, they were kind of talking crazy to us in warm-ups. And, uh, you know, we was getting into it with them before the game. And so we we come back into the locker room before uh, before we go back out to the final warm-up. And Wojo just walks in the locker room and just hauls back and just punches straight through the uh, – the clipboard, hand bleeding, running down. He's like, you know, I can't say obviously we are, you know, corn, but he was saying all types of swears and he's like, fuck that, let's let's go get these. And we went out and we won the game. And Tennessee had a good team, you know what I mean? But I could tell when he punched, he punched a hole through the clipboard, his hands bleeding, his hand was swollen. They had to wrap him up before the game. So that was the first time I seen how, you know, everybody already always told me about how fire he was. How that was like really the first time I seen him that fired up. Like he just walked in the locker room, didn't say anything, just went, didn't say anything about the game plan, just punched straight through the scoreboard and like, let's, let's go. You were, you were probably like the whole Pikachu meme where it's like, you know, jaw drop. I feel like yeah. I feel like that had to be that sentiment had to be shared by you and your teammates. Uh, but you know, there you guys had you know you guys lost a lot of close games, but there were times where you, you won some close games. Um, the Creighton home win was a big one. Um, that was a Creighton team that had lost a lot. You know, no Doug McDermott. That's a big problem. But they yeah. take you right down to the wire. But. Uh, Matt Carlino, your grad transfer, steps up. Um, has, yeah. You know, given how you had lost a few close calls earlier in the conference season, like at DePaul, at Georgetown as well, how did it feel to, like, get that monkey off your back? And, you know, what was the, was the how was the place set up for Matt to get that sh- final shot? Uh, honestly, I can't even remember how the play was set up. I think we just kind of set it down on screen. And Carlino's such a – He's a he's a great uh, off screen shooter. Uh, I mean, obviously you got guys who catch and shoot guys, guys who shoot off the dribble, but he he's one of the guys. I, I mean, I don't. Marcus Howard is off the dribble shooter. Rousey is kind of he's kind of a little bit of everything catch and shoot. But Carlino, if you get him coming off the down screen, that's probably when he's at his best shooting. So I, it's probably something of that. Uh, 
liking, but I remember just how happy we were because we, you know, all the stuff that we kind of went through, uh, the struggles as far as losing players, guys getting injured, et cetera, et cetera. It, was, it just felt good to finally, you know, get one of those games. Obviously, I don't think Creighton was, Creighton was kind of at the bottom with us along with DePaul. So just getting that win felt good. You know, I think they beat us at home. I mean, beat them, they beat us at their home that year earlier. So it was just one of those games that was tough. Uh, and I think everybody just stepped up and did their part. And it always feels good when you come in and get one of those games like that. So Yeah, I think another big team win was winning at Seton Hall without Matt Carlino, who had gone down with uh, that scary injury at Villanova just a few days prior. Um, I feel like that with a shortened rotation, I mean, you guys played a great game. And, you know, we talked about how, you know, in the Big East that you knew the first two years, there were a lot of grinded out games where you'd be lucky if you got it to 60 points. And in this game, it was only 57-54, and you pull it out. Um, what did it take to do that? I mean, I think just defensively. I, I, I remember correctly, I think uh, Juan didn't play either that game, Juan Anderson, because I think he may have torn something in his ankle, like right before the game, like that morning in practice. So Juan didn't play, Carlino didn't play. So it's two seniors out. And it was Isaiah's Whitehead's first game back. Yeah, actually. It was, his, it was his third. Oh, his third game back. Yeah, he came back against yeah. uh, Xavier the week before. Okay. but And so it, it, I think the rhythm was kind of not the same once he came back. Because when you had such a talented player back into your offense and back into the flow, it changes. You know, it takes something from uh, the – Carrington or uh, Sterling at the time, because those were their, you know, offensive options at the guard position. So when you throw an entity like uh, Isaiah Whitehead in there, it changes the offense. So I think they were throwing off a rhythm. And I think we just played great defense that day. I think getting beat like that at Villanova and then that happened to Carlino, I think everybody realized that, you know, we can't, that can't happen twice in a row. And so I, that's why, you know, a lot of people, we weren't good that year honest uh but i think a lot of people still kind of respected that team because it was never like we just laid down and you were just going to beat us so yeah and so it felt good to get that win and I, I was happy that everybody stepped up offensively defensively and we got the job done especially against a team that was going to be you know one of the best teams in the Big East in the future, for sure. So Yeah, yeah, and the crazy – you know, that was your only road win of conference play. Uh, but, unfortunately, you know, you end up losing, I think, the next six in a row. And at this point, you know, you're, you've fallen to dead last in the standings. Creighton had gotten above you. And heading into the last day of the regular season, I think for you on senior day, against DePaul, a team that had beaten you – late in Chicago, like, yeah, I really feel like, you know, there had to be a personal revenge factor and just the fact that you, you just want proper closure on senior day on your home court. Yeah. I mean, that, that was just one of those games that I think we, we felt and we knew we were going to win. Uh, I felt like we should have beat them. We let that first one slip away. We asked a lot, let, let a lot of games slip away, but that was just the game that we knew and that we felt that we were going to win. I don't think there was any doubt, especially, you know, it being me and Juan's last game uh, at Marquette and seeing all the things that we've seen at our time there. We went from 
one of the best teams in the country to one of the worst teams in the country. And then, you know, you go through a culture change. So you went through everything in college basketball that you could possibly go through from the worst to the best. So I think just ended it on that note at a win. I think it was, I mean, at the Bradley Center, it was just one of those games I think we just knew we were going to win. We felt we were going to win all the time. So Yeah, I mean – and that was an incredible defensive effort. I, you know, if you think the Seton Hall game was an impressive effort, you know, you only let up 48 points against that DePaul team. Yeah. So, I mean, and DePaul, DePaul I mean, Billy Garrett was, I think, very, I mean, a very talented player. Uh, so, I mean, you, you kind of slowed him down. You could slow the whole team down. That's what we did the first game. I remember the first game, he actually had three on me because he's not really off the dribble shooter. And I should have went over to him the second time. I went on the screen the first time he didn't shoot it. And I went on the second time and shot it. So, I mean, just having that, playing that and playing that in my mind, I was like, that's not going to happen again. So, <laughs> Yeah, so obviously with momentum on your side and now that you're not the 10th seed, you're the ninth seed now, going into that first-round game against Seton Hall, uh, you know, you guys are known for defense, but you guys put on an offensive clinic in this game. Uh, you in particular, you had 14 assists. Your team goes 13 for 22 for three, shoot over 50% from the floor. And, I mean, even as a seed Hall guy who watched this firsthand at the Garden, you kicked their ass that night. Um, like, I really think that you guys obviously played well, but, like, could you see, like, dejection and guys just checking out on the seed Hall side? Uh, a little bit. They, they, they seemed a little bit uh, defeated, like they were, like, ready to get the season over with. You can feel it when you play against teams. Like you can feel some something that wasn't like their rhythm the, from the first time we played them at home and they beat the hell out of us compared to the second time where you could kind of see something because they, you know, Seton Hall started the season right that year. They beat St. John's and Logan St. John's team. And then playing them the second time at Seton Hall, you could kind of feel it. And then it was like by the time we got to them in the garden, you can tell, you know, that majority of the team is freshmen. They hit that freshman wall. So it was like they were kind of a little bit done. They were like, you know, the, the season can be taxing mentally more so and physically. So I don't think they were used to that. And I think we just, you know, being a senior, for me, Matt and Juan, we just didn't want to, you know, this is going to be our last college basketball game ever. So and, we, and, we were playing for something a lot yeah, more. And so. you hadn't won in the Big East tournament during your first three years. Yeah, and so that and that and that was another motivation for me and why we we never won a Big East tournament game it, it, from the best teams we played on. It's probably so the 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 time of Marquette being at his worst from when we were there. We that's when we actually got our first Big East win game, and I think that was a little bit of extra motivation for me as well. It's like we got to get at least one. I mean, I thought the games we didn't play, we didn't actually play that much because we already lost. But so that that was a great feeling actually getting that first win. But just going into that game, I, I had a good feeling. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, you, you run the Villanova, and I think that Villanova team, you know, they had the potential to go much further than they did in the NCAA's because we all know what yeah. happened. They lost in the second round to NC State, but. They look like a legitimate Final Four team in the game they played against you guys, winning by 35. Like, I feel like for some players, you know, usually some will go out in a, in a tight game in their final game. 
Others is just like a bloodbath and you kind of know it's over by like the half. So, you yeah. know, where, what do you remember most from that last game and, um, you know, coming to the realization that like, damn, this, this over. Uh, I mean, I think, I think we kind of knew Villanova was loaded that year. They were just playing. They just played so well and disciplined from like the way they, you know, they, you know, I don't know if you ever watched the warm up, but the way they just get to the paint, get the, you call it paint touches, obviously get to the paint and just kick it out and just keep on driving, kicking it out. So they make you play defensive rotation all the time. And they obviously they had Josh Hart. I can't remember. I mean, he was probably the best player on that team, Duran earlier. So they, they, the team was just kind of loaded. So, I mean, going into it, it, it was, you know, we knew it was a tough matchup. We actually played them decently. I mean, obviously we lost playing decently. It was like, we were, we were down by seven in the second half, like five, like I think like six minutes to go last time we played them at home. And it wasn't like, it was one of those games like, okay, this can possibly turn into a game. And I don't think Matt played and I don't think Juan played. So it was like one of those things I was like, we could have a chance, but that team was loaded. And, you know, it's a, they're playing for something different. You know, we, we the only way we can go to the tournament is, you know, actually winning the biggest tournament, which would have been a stretch, but they were playing like, okay, we're getting prepared for a national championship. We're playing, you know, so it's a little, it's a different type of game for them than it is to us. I think the motivation was a little bit different. And obviously they had a healthy, strong, obviously very talented team that I don't think we, we didn't, we just didn't have enough. So. Yeah. So, you know, in the garden, you know, in the locker room, like, was it hard to take off that Jersey for the final time? Oh uh, man, it was because when, when you when you're sitting there, you think about just from the from the first day you get to Marquette to like, damn, it's you know, it's, it's really over. You know what I mean? Now it's like you step a step into the professional realm, but you just think about all the teammates because you know, as far as college basketball, you never think about like for as a player, and even as I mean, as a fan, you you you. You enjoy the games, but you enjoy like moments throughout your uh, like. For us, we I enjoy moments like for us when you know in the locker room or something that happened in practice, all the crazy stuff that happened in practice. So even with the TBT, when you know we're done, we're all done for, with Marquette. As far as playing basketball, it's like most of the stuff we talk about. We don't even talk about games or other teams. We talk about. The stuff that the coach did, or some somebody, some stupid the other guys did. So you, all those memories are just replaying back in your head, and you just miss the times. You never have after college. You'll never have another moment like that ever in your career because it's like you're never all going to live at the same place. The schedule is not going to be as tightly like once you become a professional. You're it's, it's on you. It's not you know somebody like you got to be here at this time. You have this at this time. So. You just kind of think about just the moments and your teammates and that type of stuff. So, yeah. So speaking of TBT, you know, how you found like a second life, if you will, you know, after Marquette is kind of like that reverting back to Marquette uh, through Golden Eagles, uh, your TBT squad of Golden Eagles alumni. And so, uh, first of all, how did you break in with them, you know, a few years ago and, uh, uh, how did it come about, you know, who essentially, um, you know, was the initiator to get you on the team? 
And, you know, take me back to what that first TBT experience was like for you. Uh, man, the first one was, it was actually great. I think we had a very good team. We lost to Bradley that year. And I think we, I think every year we probably had, outside of the year we went to the Final Four, I think we probably had the best team. Ohio State was tough. But it, it was just, for us, it was like, the, the, the amount of focus is like TBT is one of those things a lot of people don't know it's not really about like it's kind of like college basketball it's about the makeup of the team like if you have a guy like for instance I'm the defensive guy so anytime I don't worry about scoring I'm not worried about getting some highlights on ESPN I'm just worried about because obviously playing for you know a million to two million dollars depending on the year and I think a lot of guys just think it's like you know you can go off for 30, but if you lose, you just play one game and it's over. You know, nobody's going to remember that. People remember the people who actually won it. So, I mean, it, it, the first year was actually fun. I didn't, like, at first, uh, Dan Fitzgerald, who also played at Marquette uh, with Joe Chapman. Joe Chapman actually was like, yo, you should do this thing with us, he told Dan. And I happened to be in Chicago at the time, and it was like, come down. And so I, I played. And it was a it was a good experience in the first game. Uh, West uh, Matthews was the coach at the time. In the first game, we played against the Chicago team, and I just played really good defense. So when we go to Philadelphia for the second round, we had beat Michigan. We had beat a team called Hoopville, the uh, Michigan State alum, my first year. And then we go to uh, Philadelphia, and West had put me in a starting lineup just to switch things up to play defense. And I'm surprised because, I mean, you have DJO and uh, Dwight Blanks, Mo Acker, Jarrell McNeil. So you got like four kind of like legendary Mar Marquette guards. And I mean, as far as like what they did in their careers, you put me as a starter, but it's, it's kind of just worked out that way and what we needed at the time. So and then I didn't play the next year. And then after that, we went to the final four. And then obviously championship this past two years, but it's a it's a tough tournament. I think people don't realize how hard it is, especially the Eagle Mending and stuff like that. So yeah, so first game playing with the Elam ending, what like what were your initial thoughts? Because obviously this is something you've never done. The second round we played Seton Hall, and it was like this is one of those things, it's like you don't realize, I mean, you do realize, obviously, when it's a close game, how important possessions are at the end of the game. But when you're playing to a certain score and you're like up by like maybe 10 or 15 points, like those possessions are just as important if you're playing a close game with time and it's like you're up by three points with a minute left. You know what I mean? So, but it's, it's like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. It takes away the element of playing the time game. Yes. Exactly. So honestly, I think that's why I love TBT so much. And it's that and also just seeing all of these Big East alumni in action and, and like especially your team and just the runs that you guys have gone on. Um, I think the, the, the final four run you guys went on, that was 18, right? Ooh, or, yes, or did you come just shy of that? Because I know you guys went to Wichita one year. That that was it. So eighteen is the year we went to the final four. Nineteen is the year we went to Wichita and we played in Chicago. And uh, twenty is when we won it. Okay. So. Yeah. So yeah, eighteen. Like, essentially, it was almost like a Cinderella run for you guys. Um, like, yeah. what was 
do you think that like run kind of like you know drew some relevancy to you guys from the Marquette community um you know more than it had before uh yeah I, I think it because you know you're playing on ESPN it then like is obviously for you know whether you play college basketball or a fan of college basketball or just a fan of basketball you see guys that you know they play overseas like obviously all of us play in Europe some guys are in and out of G, G League and NBA contracts here and there but you get to see guys play that you don't you know that you liked in college that you haven't seen in years and like oh he's playing here that's nice to see him let me check him out stuff like that so I think it's pretty cool in that aspect and uh going to the the, the final four that one year I think kind of was like hold on like if we take this serious enough we can win because I don't know if you would be honest it was like we all going back to Milwaukee. We haven't seen each other all year. We probably just drinking beers and hanging out, going to the bar, to the club. So guys don't take it as serious as they should because you kind of, you know, it's the first time you've seen each other for a while. You're trying to live out old memories and stuff. So that kind of hurt us at times. But this, like the past, I think being in the bubble obviously helped us out a lot. And the year before, we was like, all right, this time to take serious, like, you know, body partying. None of that. And then we added a couple of pieces that helped us out as well. So it's like, just imagine if we prepared for this properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, that's pretty much what it came down to is like us preparing for it properly. So, yeah. So in 19, you know, that was an incredible run. You know, you go through Wichita um, and you end up, you know, pretty close to home. You're in Chicago and, you know, you play to the home, to the home crowd, if you will really well uh that semifinal win i i feel like that had to be like at the time a really hallmark win for you guys even though it wasn't for the title uh yeah because that was actually like i mean I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with uh euro, euro european basketball but sure like some of the names on on that team are like if you came to europe they're like the now uh, you know uh they're equivalent to like a Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and Kyrie, those type of players like Kyle Hines. I think he yep. played Kyle Hines. Uh, I, yeah. Was that Team Hines? Yes, Team Hines. We beat them okay. in 2019. So, yeah, Mike James, who arguably the best probably player. I mean, a lot of people argue he's the best player outside of the NBA right now. Uh, Kyle Hines is a EuroLeague legend. Uh Played at Cisco Moscow and all these great EuroLeague teams playing Milan. Uh, Matt Lajowski, I think he's from, uh, he's actually from Wisconsin. I think him and Jake Thomas are actually cousins. But uh, he he plays EuroLeague. And they, they, so that the team that they had was just stacked uh, as far as like, though know, they play all those guys play for the best teams out, outside the NBA. So to beat them uh, was a, that was probably, you know, one of the a very good accomplishment also just getting over that hump is like it kind of the same way with my college career as far as going you know getting over that sweet 16 hump is like once you get to that final four and you get a taste of it you're like oh yeah we definitely could because i don't think we were ready the, the year before we were ready and i, I think we we're missing a few pieces obviously bikes didn't play and djo djo didn't play that year either so far as offensive power we were down and then this year, I think we, we knew we were going to win it because we had beat sideline cancer before, but just losing, I mean, sideline cancer is a very good team, 
but just losing a year before it, it just, you know, you have a different type of motivation. So. Yeah. And I think in 19 too, like how cool was it to see Travis Diener having his moment in the sun in the semis? Man, it, it, was, it was real cool. You know, Travis was actually my coach while I played at Marquette, my senior oh, yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then he coached one more year and started playing again. So it, 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 if, if you've ever been around Travis to talk to Travis, he's like one of the coolest dudes you ever meet, like yep. uh, on and off the court. And one of the most, he just, uh, just playing against him, because my senior year, so my senior year, we had him and Tyler Thornton uh, as assistant coaches. Uh, Tyler Thornton was a grad assistant and um, Travis was an assistant. So at one point they had to practice with, practice with it. Man, Travis will kill, he didn't kill me, but he would kill everybody on our team. And he like still had it. I didn't, I knew about Travis Diener and I seen him play, but when you're on the court, the way he just passed the ball, the way he just plays it, it's, it's, is like he's one of the highest IQ guys I've ever seen on the court. Uh, so just seeing him being able to put that, actually playing alongside of him now, it was, it's a pretty cool experience and it's dope just to play with a, a legend pretty much. I mean, that's what he is at Marquette for us and for a lot of basketball fans. So I, that's one of the coolest experiences about TBT as well. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I got kind of an idea of what life was like in the TBT bubble. Um, I mean, I talked with Remy Abel from Sideline Cancer and from your guys. I talked to Luke Fisher, you know, those, those two guys I talked to before the tournament started. And then I talked to Travis Diener the night before the championship game. The night oh. before he hit the shot. So, yeah. by the way, Derek, the Igloo's a good luck charm. So, you're due for something good eventually. Might not be overnight, but you're due. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so life in the bubble. I mean, granted, you had to be there a couple weeks before the tournament started. So, you know, what was it like, you know, checking in and then being secluded? And really, like, I feel like not being able to go anywhere except to and from the arena. Like, essentially, you had to, like, live off of room service. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's been an hour on DoorDash and Uber Eats every every morning and every you know night so it's like it, it was it was cool i mean they had gyms in there once once you got over like the, the first two or three days obviously it was it was not as bad but it, like once once we finished the game the championship game, I'm, I'm ready to go home like, i don't want to stay i really didn't want to stay i wanted to leave that night but obviously you know we celebrated but it was like all we did literally the whole time was play 2k uh, NBA 2K on PS5. All right, PS5. Who, all right. Top three 2K players on the squad. Who were they? I was number one. I would say Bikes is number two, and I would say Mo Acker is probably three, because we had we we were playing two on two, and so it was me and Mo Acker against Bikes and Diener, and nobody could ever. And then DJ O is actually DJ O is pretty good. It's in Mo Charlo, but me and Mo Acker got the most wins, and like you know, Bikes was like, nah. You win it because of Derek. I, so we played one on one. I beat him like twice, then dubbed him. So it was like I was by far the best. But I played a lot during quarantines. I had nothing to do. Obviously, they had kids, so they don't have as much free time as I do. So I had a little bit more time in the game. But it it was it was it was a uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be because they gave us a team room, so we were able to hang out, talk, 
drink beers, play video games, and, uh, you know, talk about crazy stuff we did at Marquette and the crazy stories. So that was probably, like, for anybody who, like, would take a camera or want to be in the room, it'd be, it's a pretty cool setting for, you know, if you're a fan of, like, just hearing college basketball stories. So. Yeah. What was it like, though, being, like, the first taste of basketball for this country since the pandemic began? Man, it was, it was crazy because it it felt weird just because it was like, it, it, I don't know, it was like the, um, was it the first bubble? I think it might have been. It was the first bubble. It was. It was like almost a month before the NBA bubble. Yeah, so it, it's the first bubble. It's the first time anybody's seen any sports. I mean, and, and it's, a, it's a tough time for a lot of people. You know, I know people who, people close to me have lost people from COVID, so. You know, it, it's, it, it, it was a tough time because you see the world kind of, you know, it's, it's crazy. You know, people wearing masks, you don't know, can't see people's faces. Everybody's scared of getting sick, people dying. So, I mean, it just, it, it felt weird, but at the same time, it felt good just to give, you know, win or loss, it, it felt good to give people something to look forward to. You know, sports is a big part of everybody's lives, I think, for the most part, whether you're into basketball, football, or whatever. But it gave you something to look forward to, something on TV, something new. You get to see guys that you may have been, uh, you know, liked in college or whatever the case may be. So I think it just gave, you know, a sense of hope that things can possibly get back to normal. And, and so that, that was probably, I mean, outside of winning it, that was probably like the best thing that happened in TBT is like a sense of hope. Like, okay, you know, things aren't where we like them to be, but this is a, this is a stepping stone to trying to get it back to normal. So. Yeah. And I, I bet it must've felt weird because, you know, in years past, you know, TBT during the summer, you know, like didn't really have a lot of eyes on it, but since it was kind of like the only thing on TV, like now you yeah. had this big audience to play to. Yeah, and, and, and that was also pretty cool, you know. I'm man, I got so many texts and messages on Instagram from people I haven't heard from, and it was like, "Hey, man, it's good to see you still." I'm like that, so it was pretty cool to have that as well. And, and I mean, obviously, our families were happy to obviously, and there's a lot of guys who play overseas where, you know, it's eight o'clock at night here. My parents are usually at work when I play a game or something like that. So it's also cool for our families and uh, to see us play and stuff. So I, I, I mean, thankful, very thankful for TBT. And it's, it's a great event. It always has been. And I think it, it will get bigger from this past year. So. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, I think it, it was nice to get like, okay, like, you know, the year before overseas elite had been knocked out and then, sideline cancer knocked him out they were like the they were like the the rocky in this tournament and you guys you know there was it's like it's hard to not root like root against either of you guys sideline cancer playing for a good cause and then you guys had your own narrative of trying to redeem yourselves from last year uh but i mean that was a grinded out game it was as good as i thought it was going to be and then the ageless wonder hits the game winning shot in the Elam ending. Like could a, a more fitting guy have hit that shot for you guys? Man, I, I think, I think that's the, uh, calling the basketball gods. I, I just think it was meant to be, that's like, kind of like who Diener is, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's just, I, I, it was just meant 
that was just meant for him to hit, uh, it was meant for him to hit that shot. So I mean, and we were all so happy for him and that he hit the shot. Obviously, we we trust him so much because I was, we were doing offense defense for me and him. So we he would foul because we didn't worry in foul trouble yet. So and I would come in and then call a timeout, get him in there. So I mean, I was just so happy he hit that shot because that we got the check 10 minutes. It comes to your bank account 10 minutes after you win. So, man, it was a great feeling. It was so happy for him to hit the shot. And it's, it was like him hitting that shot is just like, that's kind of the story of Diener, Travis Diener, so. Yeah, the legend just keeps growing, even though he's like almost like 40 now, which is yeah. bewildering because it feels like I was watching him and D-Wade go to the Final Four like yesterday almost, you yeah. know, I was seven when that happened as crazy as it sounds, but honestly, like how, how cool was it to actually like see like that direct deposit hit, you know, 10 minutes after uh, your teammates hit the big button. Uh, it, it's crazy. Cause it's like some days, you know, I'll still, I'll, I'll talk to my office. I'll talk to my girlfriend all the time. I'm like, some days it's still crazy. I'm going to look at my bank. I'm like, damn, I'm like, you know what I mean? It, it's, it just shot up tremendously over, you know, the span of 10 minutes. So it was like, and, and it's all because Travis didn't hit a shot at the corner to save us, you know, because we could have we could have easily lost that game because they had an opportunity to hit a three. Uh, that The last play was just kind of haywire. They all, it was three guys jumped at E. Cook to, for a layup, which wouldn't, won, which wouldn't have won the game. So... But just looking at my, you know, sometimes I go do some banking stuff and trying to get into investment stuff. And I look at, you know, the bank, I'm like, all right, man. It's still kind of, it's still, it's just now settling in that we want that money. So it's it's also pretty cool to, you know, get that big of a check. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and how cool is it to like, you know, find this new life um, in as a Marquette basketball um, playing with, an alumni team and being like a major focal point for the Marquette community now. Man, it's really cool. I think, I think it, it, it's if you're a Big East fan or a Marquette fan, uh, it, it's cool to still get that love and people, you know, from your from your school, uh, from fans, from the the, the 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 people at Marquette. Obviously, they they help out. Obviously, this year they didn't, but. Every time we go back, they give us gear. Uh, they gave us gear this year. They let us use the facilities. We get to, you know, interact with the younger guys. That's how we meet and know some of the younger guys. So, and it, it also helps to keep that kind of brotherhood intact. So just, uh, and you create relationships with guys you necessarily, like I didn't play with bikes, but, and bikes have always been at school. Obviously when I was there, he would always come back. We kind of built the relationship. Our relationships got stronger with TBT, taking a trip and being in Wichita for a weekend or being in a bubble. So, I mean, that that's probably like the best part of it for me because me and Joe Chap became really close to it. And I, you know, we're almost 10 years within our playing, uh, well, about seven years within our playing times at Marquette. And so, you know, you got guys who graduated in 2015, Rousey, I, I think graduated in 2000. 18. 18. Graduated in 2018. And, you know, he he's has connection with DJO who graduated in 2012. So it's like you get the, you get these guys from all across the board who end up building relationships and the brotherhood just gets stronger and you create a, a tighter knitted 
you know, community within your school. And I think, I mean, if any schools uh, have a chance to consistently do it and guys have time, I think they should because it also, it, it creates a great atmosphere, just a basketball atmosphere for the school. So, you know, if Seton Hall has one, you get the guys like uh, Carrington and Whitehead coming back to the school miles. Oh my teaching God. You know, I was thinking about this one. It was a sleep thought I had. I'm like, wouldn't it be so cool if like Seton Hall had fielded an alumni team and it had Carrington and Whitehead and even Delgado, like, Oh my God, I would cry like good tears, obviously. Like, like the nostalgia factor is so, it's such a powerful thing. It really is. And yeah. you know, if, if you could like, have if you have a couple players in mind like right now that will be eligible to play p uh in tbt from the big east um who you know who are some that come to mind uh eligible uh from all my time there i would say uh i think some of the guys play uh if i'm not recalling but uh i think van vanderbilt i think uh i think sometimes you know people have stuff going on the stomach but I think Van, uh, who else did I like in the Big East? It's tough because a lot of those guys, uh, Russ Smith, I think he would be very good in TPT. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying uh, to think, you know, if, I mean, I think Miles Powell, because he's only a G leaguer, would be eligible. But oh yeah. my God, to see him fill it up in TBT, oh yeah. my, that yeah. would be like, that's, that's top dollar stuff. I'd want to see that. But and, I, but, I mean, you obviously, from what from what you've told me, like you definitely keep in touch, you know, and, and watch Biggie's basketball still. Uh, you know, how frequently do you watch it? And you know, who's really impressed you? I mean, Miles Powell, and Marcus Howard were two that you mentioned right off the bat. Yeah, these uh, this year I haven't been able to watch much because the times of the games and how the, how their schedule some get canceled, yeah. and then my schedule I'm a, a little bit further behind time in Turkey. So I haven't been able to watch this year, but I mean, obviously I love Rousey game. I like to, uh, I, I like to watch Miles Powell, the way he scores the ball. I, I like to watch that group at Seton Hall. I thought they were very talented when I was there. So I, I would watch them, uh, Kid Desi, uh, uh, Carrington and Delgado. Who else did I watch in the Big East? Uh, Trayvon Blewett, I liked his game mm -hmm. a lot. Xavier. Uh, him and JP McCurr, they they were really. I think I thought that was good. Uh, those two in Evan Summer, that was a very strong, you know, oh, backcourt. Yeah, so. yeah. Like now that I think about it, man. Like you know, I think McCurr was supposed to be on a TBT team this summer, but they got they, COVID. They got COVID and they had to back out. Like I was so looking forward to seeing JP in yeah. in TBT. Like. He needed to be reintroduced to like a new audience for people that don't don't really know about him and his game. Yeah, uh, he's actually having a great year here in Turkey this year. Really good year. Uh, but baller. I'm trying to see. I'm trying to think of the other schools uh, who like guys who obviously are in the NBA. Like, I mean, you uh, saw you saw Kellen Dunham in TBT. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Those guys that said all those guys at St. John's. Uh, D'Angelo uh, Harris. I would uh, love to see Shamori Ponds. Yeah. Dominic uh, Pointer, Shamori Ponds. If they, you know, uh, or Sir Dominic, yeah. If they had yeah. a team, those guys are, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I just had Marcus Foster on. I mean, he would be a hell of a TBT player. 
I think they had a team, uh, Kansas State. He was, uh, they played the U, we played in Wichita and they lost to, they won the first one, but they, they lost to sideline cancer, I think maybe. Oh, wow. Was he, was he on that team? Yeah, they, that, that Kansas State team, because he had like 28 the first game. Wow. I had no idea. And wow. so, it, I think they, I can't remember if they either lost to sideline cancer or, because we ended up playing sideline cancer the last game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember because sideline cancer didn't, didn't they beat aftershocks? Yes. Uh, they lost to team Colorado then or some, one of those teams because we beat, we beat a team from Fort Hood and we beat team Colorado and then we beat sideline cancer. Yeah. Th- that does make sense now. Cause I remember you guys did beat sideline cancer, but you know, obviously you still love biggies basketball. You, you watch it whenever you can, but overall, I mean, you saw the, end of the old Big East and the beginning of the new Big East. And now they've seen it grow over the past several years into still being one of the best conferences and one and one of the premier conferences still in college basketball. You know, what, what has the conference uh, meant to you and your growth, you know, as a player and as a person? I, I think the, the conference as a whole, it just gives you certain, like, if you, if you continue in basketball, it's certain things that it instills in you as far as toughness, uh, defensive mindset, and just, you know, fighting through adversity and hard work. And it sets like values and it sets you on a track in life to, regardless if you play basketball, especially at Marquette, it was like, we've learned so many, you build so many good habits from that type of conference and those type of schools and those type of coaches that is gonna help you whether you continue on in basketball, you go be a businessman or whatever, life takes you I think it just you know the and it's just like uh how can I say it's it's if you want to see a tough hard fought game with you know good fundamentals and all that stuff Big East is nothing better than these I mean ACC and SEC is a little bit different SEC is more of a you know long athletic schools and then you got the Pac-10 or Pac-12 now that's more skilled and not like as defensive minded. But if you want a good, tough basketball, like kind of old school, Big East is kind of like the thing, place to be. But I think just a, just a fight and the grit. And I think people naturally love that, the fight and grit. And I think that's what the Big East kind of represents also. And it kind of, I think, it, me personally, I think it gets slept on for the amount of talent that it has and the amount of scores that it has. You know, guys don't, I mean, obviously the past two years with those two guys, Mark Sauer and Miles Powell, took off but overall there's always been great scores in that league I just think they get overlooked for because of the I guess the stereotype of the conference yeah and you know you know you mentioned fight and grit and you know you you embody that in your career at Marquette and beyond of course being a TBT champ Derek it was a pleasure talking to you here on the Igloo Man uh it was like a spur of the moment you know I gave you I gave you like a half an hour. We, 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 we banged it out just like that. Really appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck in Turkey. And I can't wait to see you and the Golden Eagles back on the court at TBT this summer. I'm really looking forward to seeing you defend yeah, your title. Hopefully we win it again, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for giving the platform to talk. So I appreciate it. Hey, that, this, that's what I'm here to do. And, hey, like I said, the Igloo's been a good luck charm. Look what it did for Travis Diener. Hey, you know. 
wishing you nothing but success and uh, hopefully, you know, I'll hopefully watch you win another title this summer. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. More on the Igloos coming up after this. All right. After a three and four weekend, it's time to make my picks for this week. Ten games to go. Half of them happen tonight and tomorrow, and it starts at 7 tonight with Xavier and Georgetown from McDonough Arena. Georgetown has been pretty solid at home in conference play. They are 4-4 four and four at home compared to 2-4 and four on the road. So this is senior day for Jamarco Pickett, Javon Blair, Donald Carey, Chudier Belay. I'm expecting these guys to make contributions, but I think Xavier, even without Nate Johnson, I think they are primed to prove that they belong in the tournament because last year they shot themselves in the foot in March by losing their last two regular season games plus their first round game in the Big East tournament. They're going to want to shake off those demons and get the monkey off their back. And Xavier... Historically, has been really good in D.C. Since realignment, they have won 5 of 7 in Washington, D.C., including a thrilling win a year ago yesterday on a game-winning 3 by Najee Marshall. I think Xavier is going to win this game. I I just think they match up better. Uh, They're playing good basketball again. It uh, seems like they, ha- they have that right mindset now to really move forward and uh, pick up a big win like this. And, th- and they need it in order to keep their NCAA tournament hopes afloat. So I'm going with Xavier, but it's going to be tight. Now Marquette at DePaul. DePaul, they are on the verge of making history, but in a bad way. No No Big East team since realignment has gone winless at home. Only a handful of teams have gone one and have uh, have only one win uh, to their name at home. DePaul actually in twenty three of them. DePaul in seventeen and eighteen, as well as St. John's in twenty sixteen. Now I know Marquette is, I mean, they had good wins a while ago at Butler and at North Carolina, but in the final leg leg of a six-game road trip, I feel like they got to be tired by now. And I think DePaul is going to capitalize on that. And Charlie Moore, in his last home game in his home city of Chicago, I don't think he wants to be denied of a win in his final conference home game. So... That, I'm going in an upset. I'm picking DePaul. And then Wednesday, UConn, Seton Hall on FS1. This is going to be a completely different dynamic now that James Booknight is back for UConn. Seton Hall beat the Huskies without him back on February 6th. And potential difference maker here, UConn. Uh, uh, Seton Hall is actually welcoming fans back into the building. Uh, Governor Phil Murphy... Uh, made it official um, as of March 1st. Fans are going to be let back inside uh, large venues of over 10,000, which includes the Prudential Center where Seton Hall plays. So you're going to see roughly around 1,800 fans at this game at the Rock. 
It may be a small crowd, but I guarantee that crowd is going to come ready. They're going to come ready to rock the rock. And for the three seniors that have been with the program since their freshman year, Miles Kale, Mamu, and Chavar Reynolds, they know their tournament hopes are on the line in this game. A win against UConn would be a big win. It would qualify as a quad one win. I really believe that Seton Hall is going to win this game, but it's going to be tight. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a one-possession game. So give me the Pirates to get their 11th conference win an inch closer uh, to making the NCAA tournament yet again. Had it not been for COVID, this would be their sixth in a row. At 7 o'clock on CBS Sports Network, Providence and St. John's. St. John's won by 11 in Providence last time out. And I I just think St. John's, even without Posh Alexander, I think they are in the best position to win this game. I feel like after the last two losses and having a week off, you got to be awake and ready to go because you still got to believe that a couple of wins would get St. John's back in the tournament conversation. A 2-0 week would put them at 10-9 in conference, 16-10 overall. Not the most impressive record, but a winning conference record with 10 wins is going to count for something. So I am going to pick St. John's. I think that sense of urgency will come out in this game. And they will take care of business. Yeah, I mean, taking care of business in the sense of, you know, serve, holding serve at home. And then at 8.30 on FS1, the biggest regular season title could be on the line in this game. Number 14, Creighton. At number 10, Villanova. At Finneran Pavilion. Again, Creighton beat Villanova on the road last year, but that was at Wells Fargo. Villanova is 39-1 at Finneran Pavilion since realignment. Their last loss came in February of 2017. Creighton handed Villanova a pretty ugly loss in Omaha back on February 13th, winning by 16. And for Villanova, this is... Anytime it's senior day, it's one thing, but you have guys that have been on the team since their 2018 National Championship. Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels, Demir Cosby-Roundtree, who has unfortunately been out all year. Villanova's going to want to win this game because a win here means that they will win the Big East regular season title outright. But if Creighton wins and they beat Butler on Saturday, they will be the Big East regular season champs outright. I think Creighton's going to spoil the party, folks, and come into Finneran Pavilion and hand Villanova just their second loss at the Finn. But I'll tell you, it's, it's going to be tight. It's going to be a tight ball game. So that is a wrap 
for this episode of the Igloo. Thank you again to my guest, Derek Wilson, for going in depth about his Marquette career. And of course, TBT. I I know I'm going to be looking forward to it this summer. I know it's going to be starting in July. So, I mean, we're only four months away from that. So, hey, it's something to look forward to. But, hey, focusing on the here and now, this is March, folks. The fun is only beginning. So, enjoy these games while you can because they are all going to go right down to the wire. Even the ones that you feel like are going to end up being blowouts. Trust me, they're going to be tight too. And you're going to be on the edge of your seat because seasons could be made or broken in this month. Now we can just sit back and watch it all unfold. Until next time, this is Timmy I signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in.